so what happened there, huh? What did, <laughs> what did I do? When did I cut out? I accidentally changed over to the other screen and I, yeah, absolutely. I disapparated. Um, I was in the middle of saying hi to everybody. So, um, if I didn't get you, I apologize. Um, smile, general, awesome. Nate, Austin, and, uh, Katie. Welcome y'all. Hope you're having a great week. Um, Again, I don't know when it cut off, so for anybody who doesn't know what this is, my name is Sam, and this is Sidecar Stories. Tonight we are reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 17 and 18. Um, we ended on an interesting cliffhanger, which I will go over, as we usually do. I am going to uh, give a quick quick uh, recap of what we learned last time, and then we are going to move on to our next chapter. Um, don't worry, I disapparated. I have subsequently apparated. I'm back. I'm fairly confident you can hear me now, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Uh, hope I'm loud enough. I hope the uh, stream quality looks good. I hope you enjoy the the aural, the, the sort of aura I have around me um, as part of my, my uh, setup. It doesn't work if I only hold up half of the thing at a time. But yeah. Let's get started, shall we? So... Um, if you don't like this sort of thing, go ahead and skip in the VOD until you can see art. But, last time on Sidecar Stories, um, it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting start to the year between um, the impending festivities and uh, competition of the Triwizard Tournament coming up. There's a buzz in the air. Everybody's trying to think about how, you know, some of the younger students are trying to think how they might enter their names erroneously because there is, of course, an age restriction. Um, none of the, uh, most of the people that we know well from Hogwarts are too young to participate, even on up to um, Fred and George Weasley. Um, but they, you know, they do some plotting and they try to get their names in. It doesn't work terribly well. Um, we have experienced the arrival of students from other wizarding schools from around Europe. Um, students from the schools Beaubaton and uh, Durmstrang, Durmstrang uh, have arrived. Um, the, the staff of Hogwarts seem to be maybe a little on edge, maybe a little competitive with these other schools. Um, but it's interesting to see the differences, and uh, the differences not only in uh, the students, but in their their headmasters. Um, headmaster of Beaubaton, um, Madame Maxime, an incredibly tall, large woman, and uh, the headmaster of Durmstrang, uh, a uh, one headmaster Karkaroff. Karkaroff seems to recognize Harry. Um, of course, uh, people go through the submission process, um, and as, uh, as everyone's got their names in, the very end of last stream, uh, General, I'm afraid that sort of language is not tolerated, uh, so it is going to remain hidden. Uh, we do try to keep this, uh, around the, the sort of, um, MPAA rating of the book itself. So we'll call this one about a PG-13, maybe closer to a PG. Um, not much I can do about the name, of course, but <laughs> uh, I do hope that you and your mother get something worked out. 
<laughs> Good luck to you, bud. Um, so we ended on a cliffhanger last week. At the very end, um, Dumbledore is reading out the names of the Triwizard Champions. Triwizard, tri meaning three, of course. Um, <laughs> I'll bounce back in just a second. Um, uh, Triwizard meaning, of course, three. There should be three champions, right? One from each school. Um, you may guess how that went down. We've got Fleur Delacour from Beaubaton. We've got Victor Crum, the famous uh, Quidditch athlete from Durmstrang. We have Cedric Diggory from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And suddenly, after we think it's all over, the selection process is done, another name comes out of the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter. Um, that is where we're at. Uh, I'm going to proceed in just a moment, but the general says, uh, I ran off with a pot of mac and cheese and she just looked at me dead in the eye and said, is that really how you want to live your life? <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's comfort food and, and, uh, comfort literature. It's fine. It's all right. I, I mean, <laughs> We were, me and my girlfriend were in a living situation just a brief while ago in which that was pretty standard affair, you know, squirreling away with your, with your sustenance and your entertainment. It's sometimes that's just, that's just the way that the night's going to be, you know, be awesome as asking, do you have animals? We have two cats. Very pretty jerk named Clover and, um, her just fearful brother um blue both named for their eye colors all right let's proceed shall we let's get into the chapter as usual if you've got anything you'd like to talk about during the stream whether it's during reading or during the break go ahead and put it in chat i would love to talk about it all right let's do this Chapter 17, The Four Champions. Harry sat there, aware that every head in the great hall had turned to look at him. He was stunned, felt numb. He was surely dreaming. He had not heard correctly. There was no applause. A buzzing, as though of angry bees, was starting to fill the hall. Some students were standing up to get a better view, see Harry as he sat frozen in his seat. At the top table, Professor McGonagall had got to her feet and swept past Ludo Bagman and Professor Cockroft to whisper urgently to Professor Dumbledore, who bent his ear toward her, frowning slightly. Harry turned to Ron and Hermione. Beyond them, he saw the long Gryffindor table all watching him, open-mouthed. I didn't put my name in, Harry said blankly. You know I didn't. Both of them stared just as blankly back. At the top table, Professor Dumbledore had straightened up, nodding to Professor McGonagall. 
Harry Potter, he called again. Harry, up here, if you please. Go on, Hermione whispered, giving Harry a slight push. Harry got to his feet, trod on the hem of his robes, and stumbled slightly. He set off up the gap between the Gryffindor and Hufflepuff tables. It felt like an immensely long walk. The top table didn't seem to be getting any nearer at all, and he could feel hundreds and hundreds of eyes upon him, as though each were a searchlight. The buzzing grew louder and louder. After what seemed like an hour, he was right in front of Dumbledore, feeling the stares of all the teachers upon him. Well, through the door, Harry said Dumbledore. He wasn't smiling. Harry moved off along the teacher's table. Hagrid was seated right at the end. He did not wink at Harry, or wave, or give any of his usual signs of greeting. He looked completely astonished, and stared at Harry as he passed like everyone else. Harry went through the door out of the great hall, and found himself in a smaller room, lined with paintings of witches and wizards. A handsome fire was roaring in the fireplace opposite him. The faces in the portraits turned to look at him as he entered. He saw a wizened witch flit out of the frame of her picture and into the one next to it, which contained a wizard with a walrus mustache. The wizened witch started whispering in his ear. Victor Crumb, Cedric Diggory, and Fleur Delacour were grouped against the fire. Well, grouped around the fire. It looked strangely impressive, silhouetted against the flames. Crumb, hunched up and brooding, was leaning against the mantelpiece, slightly apart from the other two. Cedric was standing with his hands behind his back, staring into the fire. Fleur Delacour looked around when Harry walked in and threw back her long sheet of silvery hair. What is it? she said. Do they want us back in the hall? He thought he had come to deliver a message. Harry didn't know how to explain what had just happened. He just stood there, looking at the three champions. It struck him how very tall all of them were. There was a sound of scurrying feet behind him, and Ludo Bagman entered the room. He took Harry by the arm and led him forward. Extraordinary, he muttered, squeezing Harry's arm. Absolutely extraordinary. Gentlemen, lady, he added, approaching the fireside and addressing the other three. May I introduce to you, incredible though it may seem, the fourth Triwizard Champion. Victor Crumb straightened up. His surly face darkened as he surveyed Harry. Cedric looked nonplussed. He looked from Bagman to Harry and back again, as though sure he must have misheard what Bagman had said. Fleur Delacour, however, tossed her hair, smiling, and said, Oh, a very funny joke, Mr. Bagman. Joke? Bagman repeated, bewildered. No, 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 not at all. Harry's name just came out of the Goblet of Fire. Crumb's thick eyebrows contracted slightly. Cedric was still looking politely bewildered. Fleur frowned. 
But evidently there has been a mistake, she said contemptuously to Bagman. He cannot compete. He is too young. <laughs> it is amazing, said Bagman, rubbing his smooth chin and smiling down at Harry. But, as you know, the age restriction was only imposed this year as an extra safety measure. And as his name's come out of the goblet, I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think there could be any ducking out of this at this stage. It's down to the rules. You're, you're obliged. Harry will just have to do the best that he... The door behind them opened again, and a large group of people came in. Professor Dumbledore, followed closely by Mr. Crouch, Professor Karkaroff, Madame Maxime, Professor McGonagall, and Professor Snape. Harry heard the buzzing of the hundreds of students on the other side of the wall before McGonagall, uh, before Professor McGonagall closed the door. Madame Maxime, said Fleur all at once, striding over to her headmistress. They are saying that this little boy is to compete also. Somewhere, under Harry's numb disbelief, he felt a ripple of anger. Little boy? Madame Maxime had also drawn herself to her full, considerable height. The top of her handsome head brushed the candle-filled chandelier, and her gigantic black satin bosom swelled. What is the meaning of this, Dumbledore? she said imperiously. I would rather like to know that myself, Dumbledore, said Professor Karkaroff. He was wearing a steely smile, and his blue eyes were like chips of ice. Two Hogwarts champions. I don't remember anyone telling me the host school is allowed two champions, or have I not read the rules correctly enough? He gave a short and nasty laugh. Impossible, said Madame Maxime, whose enormous hand with its many superb opals was resting upon Fleur's shoulder. Hogwarts cannot have two champions. It is most unjust. We were under the impression that your age line would keep out younger contestants, Dumbledore, said Karkaroff, his steely smile still in place, though his eyes were colder than ever. Otherwise, we would, of course, have brought along a wider selection of candidates from our own schools. It's no one's fault but Potter's, Karkaroff, said Snape softly. His black eyes were alight with malice. Don't go blaming Dumbledore for Potter's determination to break the rules. He's been crossing lines ever since he arrived here. Thank you, Severus, said Dumbledore firmly, and Snape went quiet, though his eyes still glinted malevolently through his curtain of greasy black hair. Professor Dumbledore was now looking down at Harry, who looked right back at him, trying to discern the expression of the eyes behind the half-moon spectacles. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? He asked calmly. No, said Harry. He was very aware of everybody watching him closely. Snape made a soft noise of impatient disbelief in the shadows. 
Did you ask an older student to put in your name for you? Let me drink that one again. Did you ask an older student to put it into the Goblet of Fire for you? Said Professor Dumbledore, ignoring Snape. Yes, chat. Thank you for following me. Exactly. Don't worry, I did it right. Don't you worry. No, said Harry vehemently. Uh, but of course he is lying, cried Madame Maxime. Snape was now shaking his head, his lip curling. He could not have crossed the age line, said Professor McGonagall sharply. I'm sure we all agreed that... Dumbledore must have made a mistake when he made the line, said Madame Maxime, shrugging. It is possible, of course, said Dumbledore politely. Dumbledore, you know perfectly well that you did not make a mistake, said Professor McGonagall angrily. Really, what nonsense! And he could not have crossed the line himself, and as Professor Dumbledore believes that he did not persuade an older student to do it for him, I am sure that that should be good enough for everyone else. She shot a very angry look at Professor Snape. Mr. Crouch, Mr. Bagman, said Karkaroff, his voice unctuous once more. You are our uh, objective judges. Surely you will agree that this is most irregular. Bagman wiped his round, boyish face with his handkerchief and looked at Mr. Crouch, who was standing outside the circle of the firelight, his face half-hidden in shadow. He looked slightly eerie, the half-darkness making him look much older, giving him an almost skull-like appearance. When he spoke, however, it was in his usual curt voice. Uh, we must follow the rules. The rules state clearly that those people whose names come out of the Goblet of Fire are bound to compete in the tournament. Well, uh, Barty knows the rule book. Back to front, said Bagman, beaming and turning back to Karkaroff and Madame Maxime, as though the matter was now closed. I must insist upon resubmitting the names of the rest of my students, said Karkaroff. He had dropped his unctuous tone and his smile now. His face wore a very ugly look indeed. You will set up the Gobble de Fire once more, and we will continue adding names until each school has two champions. It is only fair, Dumbledore. But Karkaroff, it doesn't work like that, said Bagman. Oh, that's not Bagman. But, uh, Karkaroff, it doesn't work like that, said Bagman. Goblet of Fire's just gone out. It, it's not going to reignite until the start of the next tournament. In which Durmstrang will most certainly not be competing, exploded Karkaroff. After all of our meetings and negotiations and compromises, expected something of this nature to occur. I have half a mind to leave now. Empty threat, Karkaroff, growled a voice from near the door. You can't leave your champion now. He's got to compete. They've all got to compete. Binding magical contract, like Dumbledore said. A convenient, eh? Moody had just entered the room. He limped toward the fire. And with every right step he took, there was a loud clunk. 
Convenient, said Karkaroff. I'm afraid I don't understand you, Moody. Harry could tell he was trying to sound disdainful, as though what Moody was saying was barely worth his notice. But his hands gave him away. They had balled themselves into fists. Don't ya? said Moody quietly. All right, I got the Dumble one. I got the Dumbledore one right. That's fine. It's very simple, Karakaroff. Someone put in Potter's name into that goblet, knowing that he'd have to compete if it came out. Evidently, someone who wished to give Hogwarts two bites at the apple, said Madame Maxime. Mm, I quite agree, Madame Maxime, said Karkaroff, bowing to her. I shall be lodging complaints with the Ministry of Magic and the International Confederation of Wizards. If anyone's got reason to complain, it's Potter, growled Moody. But, funny thing is, I don't hear him saying a word. Why should he complain? burst out Fleur Delacour, stamping, on her f oh, stamping her foot. He has got the chance to compete, hasn't he? We have all been hoping to be chosen for weeks and weeks. The honour for our schools. A thousand galleons in prize money. This is a chance that many would die for. Maybe someone's hoping Potter is going to die for it, said Moody. With the merest trace of a growl. Mm. An extremely tense silence followed these words. Ludo Bagman, who was looking very anxious indeed, bounced nervously up and down on his feet and said, uh, Moody, old man, <laughs> what a thing to say. We all know Professor Moody considers the morning wasted if he has not discovered six plots to murder him before lunchtime, said Karkaroff loudly. Apparently he is now teaching his students to fear assassination, too. An odd quality in a defense against the dark arts teacher, Dumbledore. But no doubt you had your reasons. Uh, imagining things, am I? growled Moody. Seeing things, eh? It was a skilled witcher wizard who put the boy's name in that goblet. Ah, what evidence is there of that? said Madame Maxime throwing up her huge hands. Because they hoodwinked a very powerful magical object, said Moody. It would have needed an exceptionally strong confundance charm to bamboozle that goblet into forgetting that only three schools compete in the tournament. I'm guessing they submitted Potter's name under a fourth school. Make sure he was the only one in his category. You seem to have given this a great deal of thought, Moody, said Karkaroff coldly. And a very ingenious theory it is. Although, of course, I heard that you recently got into your head that one of your birthday presents contained a cunningly disguised basilisk egg. Smashed it to pieces before realizing it was a carriage clock. So you will understand if we don't take you entirely seriously. There are those who will turn innocent occasions to their advantage, Moody retorted in a menacing voice. 
It's my job to think the way dark wizards do, Karkaroff. As you ought to remember. Alistair, said Dumbledore warningly. Harry wondered for a moment whom he was speaking to, but then realized Mad-Eye could hardly be Moody's first real name. Hardly be his real first name. Moody fell silent, though still surveying Karkaroff with satisfaction. Karkaroff's face was burning. How this situation arose, we do not know, said Dumbledore, speaking to everyone gathered in the room. It seems to me, however, that we have no choice but to accept it. Both Cedric and Harry have been chosen to compete in the tournament. This, therefore, they will do. Ah, but Dumbledore! My dear Madame Maxime, if you have an alternative, I would be delighted to hear it. Dumbledore waited. But Madame Maxime did not speak. She merely glared. She wasn't the only one, either. Snape looked furious. Karkaroth livid. Bagman, however, looked rather excited. Uh, well, uh, shall we crack on, then? he said, rubbing his hands together and smiling around the room. Gotta give our champions their instructions, haven't we? Uh, Barty, wanna do the honors? Mr. Crouch seemed to come out of a deep reverie. Yes, he said. Instructions. Yes, the first task. He moved forward into the firelight. Close up, Harry thought he looked ill. There were dark shadows beneath his eyes and a thin, papery look to his wrinkled skin that had not been there at the Quidditch World Cup. The first task is designed to test your daring, he told Harry, Cedric, Fleur, and Victor. So we are not going to be telling you what it is. Courage in the face of the unknown is an important quality in wizard... Very important. The first task will take place in November the 24th, in front of the other students and a panel of judges. The champions are not permitted to ask or accept any help of any kind from their teachers to complete the task in the tournament. The champions will face the first challenge armed only with their wands. They will receive information about the first task when the they will receive information about the second task when the first is over. Owing to the demanding and time-consuming nature of the tournament, the champions are exempted from end-of-year tests. Mr. Crouch turned to look at Dumbledore. I th think that's all. Is it, Albus? I think so, said Dumbledore, who was looking at Mr. Crouch with mild concern. Are you sure you wouldn't like to stay at Hogwarts? tonight, Barty. No, Dumbledore, I must get back to the Ministry, said Mr. Crouch. It's been a very, very difficult time at the moment. I've left young Weatherby in charge. Very enthusiastic, a little over-enthusiastic, if truth be told. You'll come and have a drink before you go, at least, said Dumbledore. Come on, Barty, I'm staying, said Bagman brightly. It's all happening in Hogwarts now, you know. Much more exciting here than at the office. 
I think not, Ludo, said Crouch with a touch of his old impatience. Professor Kargoroff, Madame Maxime, a nightcap, said Dumbledore. But Madame Maxime had already put her arm round Fleur's shoulder and was leading her swiftly out of the room. Harry could hear them both talking very fast in French as they went off into the great hall. Karkaroff beckoned to Crumb, and they too exited, though in silence. Harry, Cedric, I suggest you go up to bed, said Dumbledore, smiling at both of them. I'm sure Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are waiting to celebrate with you, and it would be a shame to deprive them of this excellent excuse to make a great deal of mess and noise. Harry glanced at Cedric, who nodded, and they left together. The great hall was deserted now. The candles had burned low, giving the jagged smiles of the pumpkins an eerie, flickering quality. So, said Cedric, with a slight smile, we are playing against one another. I suppose, said Harry. He really couldn't think of anything to say. Inside of his head seemed to be in complete disarray, as though his brain had been ransacked. So, tell me, said Cedric as they reached the entrance hall, which was now lit only by the torches in the absence of the Goblet of Fire. How did you get your name in? I didn't, said Harry, staring up at him. I didn't put it in. I was telling the truth. Ah, uh, okay, said Cedric. Harry could tell Cedric didn't believe him. Well, we'll see you then. Instead of going up the marble staircase, Cedric headed for a door to, the, to its right. Harry stood listening to him going down the steps beyond it, and then, slowly, he started to climb the marble ones. Was anyone except Ron and Hermione going to believe him? Or would they all think he'd put himself in for the tournament? How could anyone think that when he was facing competitors who had had three more years of magical education than he had, when he was now facing tasks that not only sounded very dangerous, but which were about to be performed in front of hundreds of people? Yes, he'd thought about it. He'd fantasized about it, but it had been a joke, really. An idle sort of dream he had never really seriously considered entering. But somebody else had considered it. Someone else had wanted him in the tournament and had made sure he was entered. Why? To give him a treat? He didn't think so, somehow. To see him make a fool of himself? Well, they were likely to get their wish. But to get him killed? Was Moody just being his old, usual, paranoid self? Couldn't someone have put in Harry's name into the goblet as a, a trick, a practical joke? Did anyone really want him dead? Harry was able to answer that almost at once. Yes, someone wanted him dead. Someone had wanted him dead ever since he had been one year old. Lord Voldemort. But how could Voldemort have ensured that Harry's name got into the Goblet of Fire? 
Voldemort was supposed to be far, far away in some distant country, in hiding, alone, feeble and powerless. Yet in that dream he had had, just before he had awoken with his scar hurting, Voldemort had not been alone. He had been talking to Wormtail, plotting Harry's murder. Harry got a shock to find himself facing the fat lady already. He had barely noticed where his feet were carrying him. He was also surprised to see that she was not alone in her frame. The wizened witch who had flitted into her neighbor's painting when he had joined the champions downstairs was now sitting smugly beside the fat lady. She must have dashed through every picture lining seven staircases to reach here before him. Both she and the fat lady were looking down at him with the keenest interest. "'Well, well, well,' said the fat lady. "'Violet's just told me everything. "'Who's just been chosen as a school champion, then?' Balderdash, said Harry dully. "'It most certainly isn't,' said the pale witch indignantly. "'No, no, Vi, it's the password,' said the fat lady soothingly, "'and she swung forward on her hinges to let Harry into the common room.' The blast of noise that met Harry's ears when the portrait opened almost knocked him backward. Next thing he knew, he was being wrenched inside the common room by about a dozen pairs of hands, and was facing the whole of Gryffindor House, all of whom were screaming, applauding, and whistling. "'You should have told us that you'd entered,' bellowed Fred. He looked half annoyed, half deeply impressed. "'How did you do it without getting a beard?' "'Brilliant!' roared George. "'I didn't,' Harry said." I don't know how... But Angelina was now swooping down upon him. Well, if it couldn't be me, at least it's a Gryffindor. You'll be able to pay back Diggory for that last Quidditch match, Harry, shrieked Katie Bell, another of the Gryffindor chasers. We've got food, Harry. Come and have some. I'm not hungry. I had enough at the feast. But nobody wanted to hear that he wasn't hungry. Nobody wanted to hear that he hadn't put his name in the goblet. Not one single person seemed to have noticed he wasn't in the mood to celebrate. Lee Jordan had unearthed a Gryffindor banner from somewhere, and he insisted on draping it around Harry like a cloak. Harry couldn't get away. Whenever he tried to sidle over to the staircase up to the dormitories, the crowd around him closed ranks, forcing another butterbeer on him, stuffing crisps and peanuts into his hands. Everyone wanted to know how he had done it. How he had tricked Dumbledore's age line and managed to get his name into the goblet. I didn't, he said, over and over again. I don't know how it happened. But for all the notice anyone took, he might just as well have not have answered. Mm. He might just as well not have answered at all. I'm tired, he bellowed finally, after nearly half an hour. No, seriously. George, I'm going to bed. He wanted more than anything to find Ron and Hermione. To find a bit of sanity, but neither of them seemed to be in the common room. Insisting that he needed to sleep, and almost flattened... Oh, and almost flattening the little Creevy brothers as they attempted to waylay him at the foot of the stairs, Harry managed to shake everyone off and climb up the dormitory as fast as he could. To his great relief, he found Ron was lying on his bed in the otherwise empty dormitory, still fully dressed. He looked up when Harry slammed the door behind him. 
Where have you been? Harry asked. Oh, hello, said Ron. He was grinning, but it was a very odd, strained sort of grin. Harry suddenly became aware that he was still wearing the scarlet Gryffindor banner that Lee had tied around him. He hastened to take it off, but it was knotted very tightly. Ron lay on the bed without moving, watching Harry struggle to remove it. So, he said, when Harry had finally managed to remove the banner and thrown it into a corner. Congratulations. What do you mean, congratulations? said Harry, staring at Ron. There was definitely something wrong in the way Ron was smiling. It was more like a grimace. Well, no one else got across the edge line, said Ron. Not even Fred and George. What did you use? The invisibility cloak. The invisibility cloak wouldn't have got me over that line, said Harry slowly. Oh, right, said Ron. I thought you might have told me if it was the cloak. Because it would have covered both of us, wouldn't it? But you found another way, did you? Listen, said Harry. I didn't put my name in that goblet. Someone else must have done it. Ron raised his eyebrows. What would they do that for? I dunno, said Harry. He felt it would sound very melodramatic to say, to kill me. Ron's eyebrows rose so high they were in danger of disappearing into his hair. It's okay, you know. You can tell me the truth, he said. If you don't want everyone else to know, fine. But I don't know why you're bothering to lie. You didn't get into trouble for it, did you? That friend of the fat lady, that, that Violet, she's already told us all about Dumbledore letting you enter. Thousand galleons prize money, eh? Don't have to do your end-of-the-year tests, either. I didn't put my name in that goblet, said Harry, starting to feel angry. Yeah, okay, said Ron, in exactly the same sceptical tone as Cedric. Only, you did say this morning that you'd have done it last night. No one would have seen you. I'm not stupid, you know. You're doing a really good impression of it, Harry snapped. Yeah, said Ron, and there was no trace of a grin, forced or otherwise, on his face now. You want to get to bed, Harry? I expect you'll need to be up early for a photo call or something. He wrenched the hangings shut around his four-poster, leaving Harry standing there by the door, staring at the dark red velvet curtains, now hiding one of the few people he had been sure would believe him. That is the end of chapter 17. If you'd like to skip the mid-show bit, go ahead and skip in the VOD until you see channel art. Or chapter art, I should say. Um, Rachel, I love you. Glad you could drop in. Uh, B. <laughs> B says Hufflepuff Pride. 
Um, I know we've got at least one Hufflepuff repping in there. Uh, B also says, my Bagman impression reminds them of Beetlejuice. Um, I'm actually not familiar with Beetlejuice. I know who I know the the idea of it, but I've never seen it. Um, so I'll take your impression. I'll take your what? Yeah, I think that's most of what's going on in chat. Um, for all y'all who have been here before, you know how this works. I'm going to take a quick five minute intermission, then I'll be right back, and we shall proceed. There he is. Austin says Hufflepuff represent. Well done, y'all. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with my, my initial impressions and say, um, even though I've gotten a couple of different test results, I think I'm a Ravenclaw. Yeah, smile. I'm, I, I believe I'm a Ravenclaw. Um, I've gotten a couple of different... Uh, I've taken the test a couple of times. Uh, I've got Gryffindor. I think most recently I got Hufflepuff. Um, I've gotten Ravenclaw. I haven't gotten Slytherin. Um, although when I got Gryffindor, it was very nearly Slytherin. Um, it was pretty close between the two. And I think I'm going to stick with Ravenclaw because I do think that, uh, A, the, the, the sorting hat is about house composition rather than just sending you in. We, I've talked about this before, but it's more about um, making sure each house has what it needs to succeed rather than just like, you're smart, you're Ravenclaw, you're, you're, or I should say studious, you're Ravenclaw, um, you know, you're a brave boy, you go to Gryffindor, um, you are, uh, you know, clever, go to Slytherin. I don't think it's about that. I think it's much more about uh, making sure each group of graduating students has who they need to succeed. Otherwise, you know, Harry would be in a right mess without, uh, I, th I think Ron is, is uh, probably, his archetype is Gryffindor, but Hermione, you know, archetypically, which I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that's a word, but I'm also not concerned about it. Archetypically, Hermione is absolutely a Ravenclaw. There's no question about it. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's important that each each graduating class from each of the houses has the composition they need to succeed, rather than just globbing together everybody by characteristic. I think Sorting Hat's a little more clever than that. Smile says, "I'm a Slytherin." Interesting. Um, did the test a bunch and got Gryffindor too. Yeah, I think I think the the line between Gryffindor and Slytherin is probably kind of narrow. Um, B says my friend took the test and got a hundred percent Dumbledore. Interesting. <laughs> um, House Dumbledore. Did I did I take that <laughs> take that correctly? Um, Smile says fifty fifty Slytherin and Gryffindor got stuck with Slytherin. Um, and Nate says, uh, he used to be half and half Raven, Ravenclaw Slytherin, now 100% Slytherin. Smile saying the same thing. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty common. I think a lot of, uh, and, and that's kind of, you know, what's, that, that's the important part of it, you know? I, I, that's the reason I'm sticking with Ravenclaw is because although I have changed over time and when I actually took the test, um... Like with the, the Pottermore test, it put me in different houses. But back in sixth grade, which is when I would have taken the test, I would have very intently, uh, very, uh, uh, I, I, w I really would have requested to be in Ravenclaw. Um, and it would have fit me very much at the time. 
over the years. I've become, I think, I've probably leaned more toward Hufflepuff, more toward Gryffindor. Um, and then honestly, you know, more toward Slytherin as well, you know. But I'm going to stick with Ravenclaw. I think it's important. All right, I'm going to take a break. I'll see you all in five minutes. Uh, as usual, feel free to talk in chat. Anything you say can and will be used uh, for further discussion when I get back. See you in a sec. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Got to get my whole world set back up. I hear uh, some some discussion of favorite characters. Um, General, talking about a, a username change. I'll see you soon. And uh, hey, I appreciate the effort to uh, you know keep things uh, keep things accessible here. So thank you, sir, or madam, or uh, anywhere in between. Um, also. General Bode, uh, like Broderick Bode, is your favorite character? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, smile, thank you. Uh, also, um, Nate Nate is agreeing Luna's the best, uh, but then again, Nate is a Pixis, so. <laughs> Love you, bud. All right. Um, since last week, four subs. That means I'm getting beaned. Uh, as you guys know, it's a it's a it's a three sub to bean ratio, and I'm that 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 one sub certainly ticks over forward. So you're you're a third of the way to a, a second bean the the beaning the the be, a second beaning. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's that's uh, working. No, no. Oh, <laughs> general says it means big mood. <laughs> sure okay booed alright alright sounds good man uh, and smile says Snape and Draco but more Snape for sure androgynous smile I see all this time I was picturing picturing your little uh, the picturing I was picturing your little um, like avatar seemed to be something I don't know just sort of light and fluffy like some that ain't working. It's it's blowing out my my uh, green screen. Um, some light and fluffy, like a uh, just androgynous smile. It's just very happy, like a sunflower. Um, and now I'm hearing, man, I'm hearing Slytherin and, and Snape and Draco. Who are you? I feel like I don't even know you anymore. Smile. <laughs> All right, let's do this, shall we? Oh no, I haven't. I don't have my. I don't have my dang old um, eye covers. Let's see. We'll have to make do with something. I don't want to use my pants. That's weird. No. That's weird. I don't want to use my No sweatpants. Yeah, so I'm going to use a shirt. It makes much more sense. All right. This is totally covered up. I'm just going to go with this. Cassidy, would you do the honors? Yeah. Oh, don't say that words. As, as usual, you picked the wrong thing to say. Did you show him? Yeah. Okay. All right. Give it to me. Okay. I'm, I can just go. So, as always, the candy coating does nothing for me. It's peppery. Pepperish. Mm. It's pepper esque. 
Either that or it's some hot cinnamon. It's pepper. It was pepper, right? It is black yeah. Pepper. All right, I got black peppered. It's the one I've heard things about. Don't don't talk about the earwax and the vomit. Ah. <laughs> you can't. These these aren't for you. I need some percentage of like decent ones. Otherwise, the game is just a horror show. <laughs> it's no longer like. No, it's no longer like a fun roulette. Except for maybe smile, you 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 Slytherin, you sneaky Slytherin. Um, smile says, "I'm just a, just a, I'm formal. Maybe just just an in, informal, passive aggressive Slytherin." So, uh, smile says, "I should change my name though. It's been this for a long time." You do you. You know what I mean? It, it, again, again, it's about uh, team comp. I, I play a lot of tabletop RPGs, so when you hear me say team comp, I'm just talking about the composition of the, the party overall. And, uh, you know, I think Slytherin needs some... Slytherin needs, needs some flower children. <laughs> if, there's, if there's one thing how Slytherin needs, it's some, it's like, it's some hippies, to be honest. Just to, man, bring up the mood a little bit. All the you guys should see all the fan art of um, the Slytherin uh, common room. It's dark in there, man. Y'all need some. Y'all need some uh, vitamin D because there's no sun getting down in there. Typing on iPad is hard. All right, shall we proceed? Definitely pepper. That was definitely pepper. Um, it's not like drawing out my throat like I was worried it might. Um, but it's not good. I definitely wouldn't classify it as good. <clears throat> oh, Smile says, I meant I'm just a formal, etc. Formal, passive-aggressive Slytherin. Uh, B says, just had to practice piano. Glad I didn't miss anything. Haven't yet. We are about to dive back in. Rachel, I don't know if you're still around. I love you. Hope you're having a good one. I'll talk to you later. Um, yeah, I remember piano practice. I wish I'd stuck with it a bit more. Played it for three years. Um, which was uh, by my, my parents' enforcement. And got out of it as soon as I could. Um... Bounced around a little while, eventually landed on drums, which I still really enjoy, but there's something about being able to play a melodic instrument as opposed to a percussion instrument that it'd be nice. All right, let's do this, shall we? Again, anyone who uh, has got anything they want to talk about, throw it in chat. Chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. When Harry woke up on Sunday morning, it took him a moment to remember why he felt so miserable and worried. Then the memory of the, the memory, then the memory of the previous night rolled over him. He sat up, ripped back the curtains of his own four-poster, intending to talk to Ron, to force Ron to believe him only to find that Ron's bed was empty. He had obviously gone down to breakfast. 
Harry dressed and went down the spiral staircase into the common room. The moment he appeared, the people who had already finished breakfast broke into applause again. The prospect of going down into the great hall and facing the rest of the Gryffindors, all treating him like some sort of hero, was not inviting. It was that, however, or stay here and allow himself to be cornered by the Creevy brothers, who were both beckoning frantically for him to join them. He walked resolutely over to the portrait hole, pushed it open, climbed out of it, and found himself face to face with Hermione. Hello, she said, holding up a stack of toast, which she was carrying on a napkin. I brought you this. Want to go for a walk? Good idea, said Harry gratefully. They went downstairs, crossed the entrance hall quickly without looking in the great hall, and were soon striding across the lawn toward the lake. But the Durmstrang ship was moored, reflecting blackly in the water. It was a chilly morning, and they kept moving, munching on their toast, as Harry told Hermione exactly what had happened after he had left the Gryffindor table the night before. To his immense relief, Hermione accepted this story without question. Well, of course I knew you hadn't done it yourself, she said when he'd finished telling her about the scene in the chamber off the hall. The face that you had when Dumbledore read out your name. But the question is, who did put it in? Because Moody's right, Harry. I don't think any student could have done it. He'd never be able to fool the goblet or get over Dumbledore's... Have you seen Ron? Harry interrupted. <clears throat> Hermione hesitated. Um, yes. He was at breakfast, she said. Does he still think I entered myself? Well, oh, I don't think so. Not really, said Hermione awkwardly. What's that supposed to mean, not really? Oh, Harry, isn't it obvious? Hermione said despairingly. He's jealous. Jealous? Harry said incredulously. Jealous of what? He wants to make a prat of himself in front of the whole school, does he? Look, said Hermione patiently. She really bounces back and forth, doesn't she? Said Hermione patiently. It's always you who gets all the attention. You know it is. I know it's not your fault, she added quickly, seeing Harry open his mouth furiously. I know that you don't ask for it, but, well, you know, Ron's got all those brothers to compete against at home. And you're his best friend, and you're really famous. He's always shunted to one side whenever people want to see you, and puts up with it, and he never mentions it, but I suppose this is just one time too many. Hello, Ashlyn's expression. Your name has indeed changed. Welcome back. Great, said Harry bitterly. Really great. Tell him for me I'll swap him any time he wants. Tell him from me he's welcome to it. People gawping at my forehead everywhere I go. I'm not telling him anything, Hermione said shortly. Tell him yourself. It's the only way to work this out. I'm not running around after him trying to make him grow up, Harry said, so loudly that several owls in a nearby tree took flight in alarm. Maybe he'll believe that I'm not enjoying myself once I've got my neck broken, or... That's not funny said Hermione quietly. It's not funny at all. 
He looked extremely anxious. Harry, I've been thinking. You know what we've got to do, don't you? Straight away. The moment we get back to the castle. Yeah, give Ron a good kick up the... Right to Sirius. You've got to tell him what's happened. He asked you to keep him posted on everything that's going on in Hogwarts. It's almost as if he expected something like this to happen. I brought some parchment and a quill out with me. Come off it, said Harry, looking around to check that they couldn't be overheard, but the grounds were quite deserted. He came back to the country just because my scar twinged. He'll probably come bursting right into the castle if I tell him someone's entered me into the Triwizard Tournament. He'd want you to tell him, said Hermione sternly. He's going to find out anyway. Ow. Harry, this isn't going to be kept quiet, said Hermione, very seriously. This tournament's famous, and you're famous. I'll be really surprised if there isn't anything in the Daily Prophet about you competing. You're already in the half of the books about you-know-who, you know? And Sirius would rather hear it from you. I know he would. Okay, okay, I'll write to him, said Harry, throwing his last piece of toast into the lake. They both stood and watched it floating there for a moment, before a large tentacle rose out of the water and scooped it beneath the surface. Then they returned to the castle. Whose owl am I going to use? Harry said as they climbed the stairs. He told me not to use Hedwig again. Ask Ron if you can borrow. I'm not asking Ron for anything, Harry said flatly. Well, borrow one of the school's owls then. Anyone can use them, said Hermione. They went up to the owlery. Hermione gave Harry a piece of parchment, a quill, and a bottle of ink, and strolled around the long lines of perches, looking at all the different owls while Harry sat down against the wall and wrote his letter. Dear Sirius, you told me to keep you posted on what's happening at Hogwarts, so here goes. I don't know if you've heard, but the Triwizard Tournament's coming this year, and on Saturday night I got picked as a fourth champion. I don't know who put my name in the Goblet of Fire, because I didn't. The other Hogwarts champion is Cedric Diggory from Hufflepuff. He paused at this point, thinking. He had an urge to say something about the large weight of anxiety that seemed to have settled inside his chest since last night. But he couldn't think of how to translate this into words, so he simply dipped his quill back into the ink bottle and wrote, Hope you're okay, and Buckbeak. Harry. Finished, he told Hermione, getting to his feet and brushing straw off his robes. At this, Hedwig came fluttering down onto his shoulder and held out her leg. I can't use you, Harry told her, looking around for the school owls. I've got to use one of these. Hedwig gave a very loud hoot and took off so suddenly that her talons cut into his shoulder. He kept her back to Harry all the time he was tying his letter to the leg of a large barn owl. When the barn owl had flown off, Harry reached out to stroke Hedwig, but she clicked her beak furiously and soared up into the rafters out of reach. First you, then Ron. First Ron, then you, said Harry angrily. This isn't my fault. 
If Harry had thought that matters would improve once everyone got used to the idea of him being champion, the following day showed him how mistaken he was. He could no longer avoid the rest of the school once he was back at lessons, and it was clear that the rest of the school, just like the Gryffindors, thought Harry had entered himself for the tournament. Unlike the Gryffindors, however, they did not seem impressed. The Hufflepuffs, who were usually on excellent terms with the Gryffindors, had turned remarkably cold toward the lot of them. Once one herbology lesson was enough to demonstrate this. It was plain that the Hufflepuffs felt that Harry had stolen their champion's glory, a feeling exacerbated, perhaps, by the fact that Hufflepuff House very rarely got any glory, and that Cedric was one of the few who had ever given them any, having beaten Gryffindor once at Quidditch. Ernie Macmillan, Justin Finch-Fletchley, with whom Harry normally got on very well, did not talk to him, even though they were repotting bouncing bulbs at the same tray though they did laugh rather unpleasantly when one of the bouncing bulbs wriggled free from Harry's grip and smacked him hard in the face. Ron wasn't talking to Harry either. Hermione sat between them, making very forced conversation, though both answered her normally. Hermione sat between them, making very forced conversation, but though both answered her normally, they avoided making eye contact with each other. Harry thought even Professor Sprout seemed distant with him. But then she was head of Hufflepuff House. He would have been looking forward to seeing Hagrid under normal circumstances, but care of magical creatures meant seeing Slytherins too. The first time he would come face to face with them since becoming champion. Predictably, Malfoy arrived at Hagrid's cabin with his familiar sneer firmly in place. In place. In place. Are you going to giggle at me? Don't you giggle at me. Ah, oh, look, boys, it's the champion, he said to Crabbe and Coyle the moment he got within earshot of Harry. You got your autograph books? Better get a signature now, because I doubt he's going to be around much longer. Half of the Triwizard champions have died. How long do you reckon you're going to last, Potter? Ten minutes into the first task is my bet. Crabbe and Goyle guffawed sycophantically, but Malfoy had to stop there because Hagrid had emerged from the back of his cabin, balancing a teetering tower of crates, each containing a very large blast-ended scroot. To the class's horror, Harry proceeded to explain that the reason the scroots had been killing one another was an excess of pent-up energy, and that the solution would be for each student to fix a leash on a scroot and take it for a short walk. The only good thing about this plan was that it distracted Malfoy completely. Take this thing for a walk, he repeated in disgust, staring into one of the boxes. And where exactly are we supposed to fix the leash? Around the sting, the blasting end, or the sucker? Uh, round the middle, said Hagrid, demonstrating. Uh, we want to put on your dragon hide gloves, just as an extra precaution, like, uh... Harry, could you uh, come over here, help me with this big one? Hagrid's real intention, however, was to talk to Harry, away from the rest of the class. He waited until everyone had set off with their scroots, then turned to Harry and said, very seriously, So, you're competing, Harry. In the tournament. 
Ooh, champion. One of the champions, Harry corrected him. Hagrid's beetle-black eyes looked very anxious under his wild eyebrows. No idea who put you in for it, Harry. You believe that I didn't do it then? I sound ridiculous. You believe that I didn't do it then, said Harry, concealing with difficulty the rush of gratitude he felt at Hagrid's words. Of course I do, Hagrid grunted. You say it wasn't you, and I believe you. And Dumbledore believes you, and all. Wish I knew who did do it, said Harry bitterly. The pair of them looked out over the lawn. The class was widely scattered now, and all in great difficulty. The scroots were now over three feet long, and extremely powerful. No longer shellless and colorless, they had developed a kind of thick, grayish, shiny armor. It looked like a cross between giant scorpions and elongated crabs, but still without recognizable heads or eyes. They had become extremely strong and very hard to control. Uh, looks like they're having fun, don't they? Hagrid said happily. Harry assumed he was talking about the Scroots, because his classmates certainly weren't. Every now and then, with an alarming bang, one of the Scroots' ends would explode, causing it to shoot forward several yards, and more than one person was being dragged along on their stomach, trying desperately to get back on their feet. Stepping away from the book for a moment, I wonder, in the UK version of this, or elsewhere in the world, somebody let me know, did it cause them to shoot forward several yards, or did it cause them to shoot forward several meters or something? If you know, let me know in chat. Eh, I don't know, Harry. Hagrid sighed suddenly, looking back down at him with a worried expression on his face. School champion, everything seems to happen to you, doesn't it? Harry didn't answer. Yes, everything did seem to happen to him. That was more or less what Hermione had said when they walked around the lake. And that was the reason, according to her, that Ron was no longer talking to him. The next few days were some of Harry's worst at Hogwarts. The closest he had ever come to feeling like this had been during those months, in his second year, when a large part of the school had suspected him of attacking his fellow students. But Ron had been on his side then. He thought he could have coped with the rest of the school's behavior if he could just have had Ron back as a friend, but he wasn't going to try and persuade Ron to talk to him if Ron didn't want to. Nevertheless, it was lonely, with dislike pouring in on him from all sides. He could understand the Hufflepuff's attitude, even if he didn't like it. They had their own champion to support. He expected nothing less than vicious insults from the Slytherins, he was highly unpopular there, and always had been, because he had helped Gryffindor beat them so often, both at Quidditch and the Interhouse Championship. But he had hoped that the Ravenclaws might have found it in their hearts to support him as much as Cedric. He was wrong, however. Most Ravenclaws seemed to think that he had been desperate to earn himself a bit more fame by tricking the goblet into accepting his name. Then there was the fact that Cedric looked the part of a champion so much more than he did. Exceptionally handsome, with his straight nose, dark hair, and gray eyes, it was hard to say who was receiving more admiration these days, 
Cedric or Victor Crumb. Harry actually saw the same sixth-year girls who had been so keen to get Crumb's autograph, begging Cedric to sign their school bags one lunchtime. Meanwhile, there was no reply from Sirius. Hedwig was refusing to come anywhere near him, Professor Trelawney was predicting his death with even more certainty than usual, and he did so badly at summoning charms in Professor Flitwick's class that he was given extra homework. The only person to get any, apart from Neville. It's really not that difficult, Harry, Hermione tried to reassure him as they left Flitwick's class. She'd been making objects zoom across the room to her all lesson as though she were some sort of weird magnet for board dusters, waste paper baskets, and lunoscopes. You just weren't concentrating properly. Wonder why that was, said Harry darkly. Cedric Diggory walked past, surrounded by a large group of simpering girls, all of whom looked at Harry as though he were a particularly large, blast-ended scroot. Still. Never mind, huh? Double potions to look forward to this afternoon. Double potions was always a horrible experience, but these days it was nothing short of torture. Being shut in a dungeon for an hour and a half with Snape and the Slytherins, all of whom seemed determined to punish Harry as much as possible for daring to become school champion. About as unpleasant as anything Harry could imagine. He had already struggled through one Friday's worth, with Hermione sitting next to him intoning, Ignore them, ignore them, ignore them, under her breath, and he couldn't see why today should be any better. When he and Hermione arrived at Snape's dungeon after lunch, they found the Slytherins waiting outside, each and every one of them wearing a large badge in the front of his or her robes. For one wild moment, Harry thought they were SPEW badges, then he saw that they all bore the same message, in luminous red letters that burnt brightly in the dimly lit underground passage. Support Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. Do you like them, Potter? said Malfoy loudly as Harry approached. That isn't all they do. Look! pressed his badge into his chest, and the message upon it vanished, to be replaced by another one, which glowed green. Potter stinks. The Slytherins howled with laughter. Each of them pressed their badges, too, until the message, Potter stinks, was shining brightly all around. Harry felt the heat rise on his face and neck. Oh, very funny. Hermione said sarcastically to Pansy Parkinson and her gang of Slytherin girls, who were laughing harder than anyone. Really witty. Ron was standing against the wall with Dean and Seamus. He wasn't laughing, but he wasn't staring up. He wasn't laughing, but he wasn't sticking up for Harry either. Do you want one, Granger? said Malfoy, holding out a badge to Hermione. I've got loads. Don't touch my hand now. I've just washed it. You see, I don't want a mud blunt sliming it up. Some of the anger Harry had been feeling for days and days seemed to burst through a dam in his chest. He had reached for his wand before he thought about what he was doing. People all around them scrambled out of the way, backing down the corridor. Harry? 
Hermione said warningly. Go on, then, Potter, Malfoy said quietly, drawing out his own wand. Moody's not here to look after you. Do it. If you've got the guts. For a split second, they looked into each other's eyes. Then, at exactly the same time, both acted. Fanunculus! Densongyo! Harry yelled. Malfoy screamed. Jets of light shot from both wands, hit each other in midair, and ricocheted off at angles. Harry's hit Goyle in the face, and Malfoy's hit Hermione. Goyle bellowed and put his hands to his nose, where ugly boils were springing up. Hermione, whimpering in panic, was clutching her mouth. Hermione! Oh, no. Hermione! Ron had hurried forward to see what was wrong with her. Harry turned and saw Ron dragging Hermione's mouth. Nope. Saw Ron dragging Hermione's hand away from her face. It wasn't a pretty sight. Hermione's front teeth, already larger than average, were now growing at an alarming rate. She was looking more and more like a beaver as her teeth elongated, past her bottom lip, toward her chin. Panic-stricken, she felt them and let out a terrified cry. And what is all this noise about? said a soft, deadly voice. Snape had arrived. The Slytherins clamored to give their explanations. Snape pointed a long yellow finger at Malfoy and said, Explain. Potter attacked me, sir. We attacked each other at the same time, Harry shouted. And he hit Goyle. Look. Snape examined Goyle whose face now resembled something that would have been at home in a book on poisonous fungi. Hospital wing, Goyle. Malfoy got Hermione, Ron said. Look! He forced Hermione to show Snape her teeth. She was doing her best to hide them with her hands, though this was difficult as they had now grown down past her collar. Pansy Parkinson and the other Slytherin girls were doubling up with silent giggles, pointing at Hermione from behind Snape's back. Snape looked coldly at Hermione, then said, I'll see no difference. Hermione let out a whimper. Her eyes filled with tears. She turned on her heel and ran. Ran all the way up the corridor and out of sight. It was lucky, perhaps, that both Harry and Ron started shouting at Snape at the same time, Lucky their voices echoed so much in the stone corridor, for, in the confused din, it was impossible for him to hear exactly what they were calling him. He got the gist, however. Let's see, he said in his silkiest voice. Fifty points from Gryffindor and a detention each for Potter and Weasley. I'll get inside, or it'll be a week's worth of detentions. Harry's ears were ringing. The injustice of it all made him want to curse Snape into a thousand slimy pieces. He passed Snape, walked with Ron to the back of the dungeon, and slammed his bag down onto the table. Ron was shaking with anger, too. For a moment, it felt as though everything was back to normal between them. But then Ron, and turned, but then Ron turned and sat down with Dean and Seamus instead, leaving Harry alone at his table. On the other side of the dungeon, 
Malfoy turned his back on Snape and pressed his badge, smirking. Potter Stinks flashed once more across the room. Harry sat there, staring at Snape as the lesson began, picturing horrific things happening to him. If only he knew how to do the Cruciatus curse, he'd have Snape flat on his back like that spider, jerking and twitching. Antidotes, said Snape, looking all around at them, his cold black eyes glittering unpleasantly. You should have prepared your recipes now. I want you to brew them carefully, and then we will be selecting someone on whom to test them. Snape's eyes met Harry's, and Harry knew what was coming. Snape was going to poison him. Harry imagined picking up his cauldron and sprinting to the front of the class, bringing it down on Snape's greasy head. And then a knock from the dungeon door burst on Harry's thoughts. It was Colin Creevy. He edged into the room, beaming at Harry, and walked up to Snape's desk in the front of the room. Yes, said Snape curtly. Please, sir, I'm supposed to take Harry Potter downstairs. Snape stared down his hooked nose at Colin, whose smile faded from his eager face. Potter has another hour of patience to complete said Snape coldly. He will come upstairs when the class is finished. Colin went pink. Sir, sir, Mr. Bagman wants to see him, he said nervously. All the champions have got to go. I th think they want to take photographs. Harry would have stopped... Harry would have given anything he owned to have stopped Colin saying those last few words. He chanced half a glass at Ron. <sighs> hmm. He chanced half a glance at Ron, but Ron was staring determinedly at the ceiling. Very well. Very well, Snape snapped. Potter, leave your things here. I want you back down here later to test your antidote. Please, sir, he's got to take all his things with him squeaked Colin. All the champions... Very well, said Snape. Potter, take your bag and get out of my sight. Harry swung his bag over his shoulder, got up, and headed for the door. As he walked through the Slytherin desks, Potter stinks flashed at him from every direction. It's amazing, isn't it, Harry? said Colin, starting to speak the moment Harry had closed the dungeon door behind him. Isn't it, though? You being champion? Yeah, really amazing, said Harry heavily as they set off toward the steps to the entrance hall. Oh, what do they want photos for, Colin? The Daily Prophet, I think. Great, said Harry dully. Exactly what I need. More publicity. Good luck, said Colin when they had reached the right room. Harry knocked on the door and entered. He was in a fairly small classroom. Most of the desks had been pushed away into the back of the room, leaving a large space in the middle. Three of them, however, had been placed end-to-end -end in front of the blackboard, and covered with a long length of velvet. Five chairs had been set behind the velvet-covered desks, and Ludo Bagman was sitting in one of them, talking to a witch Harry had never seen before. 
was wearing magenta robes. Victor Crumb was standing moodily in the corner, as usual, and not talking to anybody. Cedric and Fleur were in conversation. Fleur looked a good deal happier than Harry had seen her so far. She kept throwing back her head so that her long, silvery hair caught the light. A paunchy man, holding a large black camera that was smoking slightly, was watching Fleur out of the corner of his eye. Bagman suddenly spotted Harry, got up quickly, and bounded forward. Ah, here he is. Champion number four. In you come, Harry, in you come. Nothing to worry about, just the wand-weighing ceremony. rest of the judges will be here in a moment. Wand-weighing? Harry repeated nervously. Gotta check your wands are fully functional, no problems, you know. They're your most important tools in the tasks ahead, said Bagman. The expert's upstairs now with Dumbledore. And then there's going to be this uh, little photo shoot. This is Rita Skeeter, he added, gesturing toward the witch in magenta robes. She's doing a small piece on the tournament for the Daily Prophet. Hmm, maybe not that small, Ludo, said Rita Skeeter, her eyes on Harry. Her hair was set in elaborate and curiously rigid curls that contrasted oddly with her heavily jawed face. She wore jeweled spectacles. The thick fingers clutching her crocodile-skin handbag ended in two-inch nails, painted crimson. I wonder if I might get in a little word with Harry before we start, she said to Bagman, but still gazing fixedly at Harry. The youngest champion, you know. Add a bit of color. Certainly, cried Bagman. That is, uh, if Harry's got no objections. Um, said Hagrid. Said Hagrid, what the heck? Um, said Harry. Lovely, said Rita Skeeter. And in a second, her scarlet-taloned fingers had Harry's upper arm in a surprisingly strong grip. She was steering him out of the room again and opening a nearby door. We don't want to be in here with all that noise, she said. Let's see. Mm, yes, this is nice and cozy. It was a broom cupboard. Harry stared at her. Come on, dear, that's right. Lovely, said Rita Skeeter again, perching herself precariously upon an upturned bucket, pushing Harry down into a cardboard box, closing the door and throwing them into darkness. Let's see now. She unsnapped her crocodile-skin handbag and pulled out a handful of candles, which she lit with a wave of her wand, and magicked into mid-air so that they could see what they were doing. You won't mind, Harry, if I use a quick quotes quill. Leaves me free to talk to you normally. I won't, said Harry. Rita Skeeter's smile widened. Harry counted three gold teeth. She reached again into her crocodile bag and drew out a long acid-green quill at a roll of parchment which she stretched out between them on a crate of Miss Scour's all-purpose magical mess remover. She put the tip of the quill into her mouth, sucked it for a moment with apparent relish, then placed it upright upon the parchment, where it stood balanced on its point, quivering slightly. Testing. My name is Rita Skeeter, Daily Prophet Reporter. Her looked down quickly at the quill, the moment Rita Skeeter had spoken, the green quill had started to scribble, 
skidding across the parchment. Attractive blonde Rita Skeeter, 43, whose savage quill has punctured so many inflated reputations. Lovely, said Rita Skeeter, yet again, and she ripped the top piece of parchment off, crumpled it up, and stuffed it into her handbag. Now she leaned toward Harry and said, So, Harry, what made you decide to enter the Triwizard Tournament? Um, said Harry again, but he was distracted by the quill. Even though he wasn't speaking, it was dashing across the parchment, and in its wake, he could make out a fresh sentence. An ugly scar, souvenir of a tragic past, disfigures the otherwise charming face of Harry Potter, whose eyes... Ignore the quill, Harry, said Rita Skeeter firmly. Reluctantly, Harry looked up at her instead. Now, why did you decide to enter the tournament, Harry? I didn't, said Harry. I don't know how my name got in the Goblet of Fire. I didn't put it in there. Rita Skeeter raised one heavily penciled eyebrow. Come now, Harry, there's no need to be scared of getting into trouble. We all know you shouldn't really have entered at all, but don't worry about that. Our readers love a rebel. But I didn't enter, Harry repeated. I don't know who... How do you feel about the tasks ahead? said Rita Skeeter. Excited? Nervous? I haven't really thought... Yeah, nervous, I suppose, said Harry. His insides squirmed uncomfortably as he spoke. Champions have died in the past, haven't they? said Rita Skeeter briskly. Have you thought about that at all? Well, they say it's going to be a lot safer this year, said Harry. The quill whizzed across the parchment between them, back and forward, as though it were skating. Of course, you've faced death in... Of course, you've looked death in the face before, haven't you? said Rita Skeeter, watching him closely. How would you say that's affected you? Um, said Harry, yet again. Do you think that the trauma in your past might have made you keen to prove yourself? To live up to your name? Do you think that perhaps you were tempted to enter the Triwizard Tournament because... I didn't enter, said Harry, starting to feel irritated. Can you remember your parents at all? said Rita Skeeter talking over him. No, said Harry. How do you think they would feel if they knew you were competing in the Triwizard Tournament? Proud? Worried? Angry? Harry was feeling very annoyed now. How on earth was he to know how his parents would feel if they were alive? He could feel Rita Skeeter watching him very intently. Frowning, he avoided her gaze, looked down at the words on the quill. Looked down at the words that the quill had just written. Tears fill those startlingly green eyes as our conversation turns to the parents he can barely remember. I have not got tears in my eyes, said Harry loudly. Before Rita Skeeter could say a word, the door of the broom cupboard was pulled open. Harry looked around, blinking in the bright light. Albus Dumbledore stood there, looking down at the both of them, squashed into the cupboard. Dumbledore! cried Rita Skeeter, with every appearance of delight. But Harry noticed that her quill and the parchment had suddenly vanished from the box of magical mess remover, and Rita's clawed fingers were hastily snapping shut the clasp of her crocodile-skin bag. "'How are you?' she said, standing up and holding out one of her large, mannish hands to Dumbledore. "'I hope you saw my piece over the summer about the International Confederation of Wizards Conference.' 
Enchantingly nasty, said Dumbledore, his eyes twinkling. I particularly enjoyed your description of me as an obsolete dingbat. Rita Skeeter didn't look remotely abashed. I was just making the point that some of your ideas are a little old-fashioned, Dumbledore. Many of the wizards on the street. I will be delighted to hear the reading. I will be delighted to hear the reasoning behind your rudeness, Rita, said Dumbledore, with a courteous bow and a smile. But I'm afraid we will have to discuss the matter later. The weighing of the wands is about to start, and it cannot take place if one of our champions is hidden in a broom cupboard. Very glad to be getting away from Rita Skeeter, Harry hurried back into the room. The other champions were now sitting in chairs near the door, and he sat down quickly next to Cedric, looking up at the velvet-covered table where four of the five judges were now sitting, Professor Karkaroff, Madame Maxime, Mr. Crouch, and Ludo Bagman. Rita Skeeter settled herself down in a corner. Harry saw her slip the parchment out of her bag again, spread it on her knee, suck the end of the quick quotes quill, and place it once more on the parchment. "'May I introduce Mr. Ollivander?' said Dumbledore, taking his place at the judges' table and talking to the champions. "'He will be checking on your wands to ensure that they are in good condition before the tournament.' Harry looked around, and with a jolt of surprise he saw an old wizard with large, pale eyes standing quietly by the window. Harry had met Mr. Ollivander before. He was the wand-maker from whom Harry had bought his own wand over three years ago in Diagon Alley. Mademoiselle Delacour, could we have you first, please? said Mr. Ollivander, stepping into the empty space in the middle of the room. Fleur Delacour swept over to Mr. Ollivander and handed him her wand. Um, hmm, he said. He twirled the wand between his long fingers like a baton, and it emitted a number of pink and gold sparks. Then he held it close to his eyes and examined it carefully. Yes, he said quietly, nine and a half inches. Inflexible, rosewood, and containing, dear me, an air from the head of a villa, said Fleur, one of my grandmothers. The Fleur was part villa, thought Harry, making a mental note to tell Ron, and he remembered that Ron wasn't speaking to him. Yes, said Mr. Ollivander. Yes, I've never used Vila hair myself, of course. I find it makes for rather temperamental wands. However, to each his own. And if this suits you? Mr. Ollivander ran his fingers along the wand, apparently checking for scratches or bumps. Then he muttered, Orchidious, and a bunch of flowers burst from the wand tip. Very well, very well. It's in fine working order, said Mr. Ollivander, scooping up the flowers and handing them to Fleur with her wand. Mr. Diggory, 
You next. Fleur glided back to her seat, smiling at Cedric as he passed her. Ah, oh, now this is one of mine, isn't it? said Mr. Ollivander, with much more enthusiasm, as Cedric handed over his wand. Yes, I remember it well, containing a single hair from the tail of a particularly fine male unicorn. Must have been seventeen hands, nearly gored me with his horn after I plucked its tail. Twelve and a quarter inches. Ash, pleasantly springy. It's in fine condition. You treat it regularly? I polished it last night, said Cedric, grinning. Cedric sounds stuck up. Harry looked down at his own wand. He could see finger marks all over it. He gathered a fistful of robe from his knee and tried to rub it clean surreptitiously. Several gold sparks shot out at the end of it. Fleur Delacour gave him a very patronizing look, and he desisted. Mr. Ollivander sent a stream of silver smoke rings across the room from the tip of Cedric's wand, pronounced himself satisfied, and then said, Mr. Crumb, if you please. Victor Crumb got up and slouched, round, round shoulders and duck-footed, toward Mr. Ollivander. He thrust out his wand and stood scowling, with his hands in the pockets of his robes. Hmm. Said Mr. Ollivander. This is a Grigorovich creation, unless I am much mistaken. A fine wand-maker, though the styling is never quite what I... However... He lifted the wand and examined it minutely turning it over and over before his eyes. I hope you have a fantastic evening, Rachel. And I love you. Yes. Hornbeam and dragon heartstring, he shot at Crumb, who nodded. Rather thicker than one usually sees. Quite rigid. Ten and quarter inches. Avis. The hornbeam wand set off a blast like a gun, and a number of small twittering, said Mr. Ollivander, handing Crumb back his wand, which leaves Mr. Potter. Harry got to his feet and walked past Crumb to Mr. Ollivander. He handed over his wand. Ah, yes, said Mr. Ollivander, his pale eyes suddenly gleaming. Yes, yes, yes. How well I remember. Harry could remember it, too. He could remember it as though it had happened yesterday. Four summers ago, on his eleventh birthday, he had entered Mr. Ollivander's shop with Hagrid to buy a wand. Mr. Ollivander had taken his measurements and then started handing him wands to try. Harry had waved what he felt like every wand in the shop until, at last... He had found one that suited him. This one, which was made of holly, eleven inches long and contained a single feather from the tail of a phoenix. Mr. Ollivander had been very surprised that Harry had been so compatible with this wand. Curious, he had said. Curious. 
and not until Harry had asked what was curious had Mr. Ollivander explained that the phoenix feather in Harry's wand had come from the same bird that had supplied the core of Lord Voldemort's. Harry had never shared this piece of information with anybody. He was very fond of his wand, and as far as he was concerned, its relation to Lord Voldemort's wand was something it couldn't help. Rather, as he couldn't help being related to Aunt Petunia. However, he really hoped that Mr. Ollivander wasn't about to tell the room about it. He had a funny feeling Rita Skeeter's quick quotes quill might just explode with excitement if he did. Mr. Ollivander spent much longer examining Harry's wand than anyone else's. Eventually, however, he made a fountain of wine shoot out of it and handed it back to Harry, announcing that it was still in perfect condition. Thank you all, said Dumbledore, standing up at the judge's table. You may go back to your lessons now, or perhaps it would be quicker just to go down to dinner, as they are about to end. Feeling that at last something had gone right today, Harry got up to leave, but the man with the black camera jumped up and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> oh, photos, Dumbledore, photos, cried Bagman excitedly. All the judges and champions, what do you think, Rita? Mm, yes, let's do those first, said Rita Skeeter, whose eyes were upon Harry again. And then, uh, perhaps some individual shots. The photographs took a long time. Madame Maxime cast everyone else into shadow wherever she stood, and the photographer couldn't stand far enough back to get her into the frame. Eventually, she had to sit while everyone else stood around her. Kakarov kept twirling his goatee around his finger to give it extra curl. Crumb, whom Harry would have thought would have been used to this sort of thing, skulked, half-hidden, at the back of the group. The photographer seemed keenest to get Fleur in front, but Rita Skeeter kept hurrying forward and dragging Harry into greater prominence. Then she insisted on separate shots of all the champions. At last, they were free to go. Harry went down to dinner. Hermione wasn't there. He supposed she was still in the hospital wing, having her teeth fixed. He ate alone at the end of the table, then returned to Gryffindor Tower, thinking of all the extra work on summoning charms that he had to do. Up in the dormitory, he came across Ron. "'You've had an owl,' said Ron brusquely, at the moment he walked in. He was pointing at Harry's pillow. The school barn owl was waiting for him there. Oh, right, said Harry. And we've got to do our detentions tomorrow night. Snape's dungeon, said Ron. Then he walked straight out of the room, not even looking at Harry. For a moment, Harry considered going after him. He wasn't sure whether he wanted to talk to him or hit him, but both seemed quite appealing. But the lure of Sirius's answer was too strong. Harry strode over to the barn owl, took the letter off its leg, and unrolled it. Harry, I can't say everything I'd like to in a letter. It's too risky in case the owl is intercepted. We need to talk face to face. Can you ensure that you are alone by the fire in Gryffindor Tower at one o'clock in the morning, on the 22nd of November? I know better than anyone that you can look after yourself, and while you're around Dumbledore and Moody, I don't think anyone will be able to hurt you. However... Someone seems to be having a good try. Entering you in that tournament would have been very risky, especially right under Dumbledore's nose. 
be on the watch, Harry. I still want to hear about anything unusual. Let me know about the 22nd of November as quickly as you can. Serious. That is the end of the chapter. Wonderful people, thank you so much for joining me. That, was, that felt like a long one. Well, we are coming right up at uh, 8 o'clock, and I don't think we spent a ton of time between chapters. I really appreciate you joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week, as usual. Um, and I look forward to reading to you again next week. Uh, we get to dig into uh, some of the, the actual events of the Triwizard Tournament, which is always fun. Let me take a look at chat really quick. Rachel, um, I know you're probably not around anymore, but thank you very much for watching. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy person. You do a great job uh, staying involved with stuff, so I appreciate you uh, ducking in for a bit. Um, B says, I would love to have care of magical creatures because if something bit my face off, I would try to befriend it. <laughs> That's one attitude to have. Um... I'm trying to remember. Do we ever learn? Do we ever learn what house Hagrid was in? I'm not sure. Ashlyn's expression says it was a great read. I enjoyed it as usual. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, B also says it's nine for me. <laughs> B says no. Was that at uh, Sirius's letter B, or was that about uh, the stream coming to an end for the night? As usual, um, I will be in the Discord if anyone would like to continue the discussion um, after the after the stream goes down. Because unfortunately, I do have to go offline at some point. Um, eventually, it might be fun to do like longer ones. But I'll admit, like as you as you likely noticed, um, eventually it does start to take a toll, partially on my voice, but even more so on my brain and just being able to keep up with the keep up with the chapter um you start to notice that you hear a lot more often uh toward the end of a particularly long one which today it was let's see i think it was clocked in at about 36 pages or so um but yeah i can typically get like about 20 pages plus discussion for more um in uh in an hour Austin's asking, what is the Discord? Uh, Discord is, should be in the description uh, link in there. Um, it's uh, essentially for all sorts of stuff. Um, just sort of trying to get a spot for discussion for the various things that I'm involved with, including a podcast, Only Liches. Um, go ahead and check that out. It is on the iTunes, uh, rather the Apple podcast now. Um, go ahead and check it out. Only Liches. Um, it is not rated PG like this one, uh, so take it with a language warning, but it's about uh, all sorts of nerdy stuff. Um, Ashlyn's saying, uh, Hagrid was a Gryffindor. Thank you. I couldn't remember whether or not we ever found out. And uh, <laughs> Nate is saying, don't forget to smash that like button and ring the bell. Um, I will echo the, uh, the, the like button. Um, but, uh, most of all, I would love for you guys to tell friends about it. If you could tell a friend who's into nerdy stuff or into Harry Potter or, uh, has, uh, an apartment or a house that they spend time alone in and they like to turn something on so they don't feel like 
uh, it's too quiet, like I do, um, go ahead and let them know about this. I would love to be joined by more people. And as I've promised, um, the more people we get in here, the more beans I eat. The more of these Birdie Bots Every Flavor beans. And after today's pepper experience, which was bad, still not as bad as sausage, um, although it was, it was faintly reminiscent of sausage, Nate says uh, he told Michaela. So, Nate, thank you very much, of course. Um, you also mentioned never 24-hour Harry Potter. That would be tough. 24-hour Harry Potter, yeesh. That would be, I, I don't think I could do it. I think my brain would be melting. It seems like there could be some sort of experience like that, perhaps. Like, get a, a group of people together and, like, hang out and watch a bunch of the movies right in a row. Something like that. Austin says uh, he told Cassidy. I, I'm going to... Austin, I'm going to guess that's a lie. I don't think you did that. Cass, can you confirm? Did he? Austin. Austin's a dirty liar. Austin. But he said past tense. He said, I told Cassidy. Austin. No, come on. So everybody spread the word. Um, I would love to have more people here and, uh, and share this with all you guys. Because it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, decent stream today. I felt like the, the voices were a little out of whack. That's okay. It happens some days. It's all right. It happens a lot when similar voices get in the same room, for instance, as you very well have likely noticed. Um, uh, stop, stop, stop. You, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start making you be on camera if you don't stop that, you. I'm going to make you be on camera. I'm going to have a separate, I'm going to have a little webcam that I put right here and I can switch over to you whenever I want to. Um, But uh, as you guys have likely noticed very well, most decently, surely have noticed, um, like Dumbledore and <sighs> weird intersections, Dumbledore and Karkaroff, Dumbledore and um, Ollivander, Karkaroff and Moody, Moody and Hagrid. And that's, you know, that, honestly, that's how most of my voices tend to work. Like I just sort of pick a spectrum of things and I try to follow all along there whatever I can um, and then you get weirdos like Madame Maxime who came up in the moment and just decided to be French Kermit the Frog it's fine I don't want to talk about it Rachel says I'm still still here and I heard it love you so much Rachel I love you too hope you have a great night I'm looking forward to being back there with you it's coming up soon all right, everyone have a great night and have a great week. Um, I will see you next Thursday. As I mentioned before, I'm going to be rolling into the Discord um, now that the stream is over uh, and we can continue uh, any discussion that you'd like. For instance, how Hermione is really being a truly excellent friend. Um, and uh, for all of you, as you go this week, I will give my, my little bit of uh, Sam Yammer, a little bit of... Uh, I don't know. I've always wanted to come up with like a, a, a motorcycle sidecar themed title for all the stuff, but most of the time it eludes me. Um, but a uh, bit of Sam Yammer for the week. You don't always have to know how to be a good friend, but if you're making the effort, people can typically pick up on that. So make the effort. Love you guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. I started waving too early. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs>
to, to throw to the other screen. Okay, here we go. Bye-bye. <laughs>